Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see your bright and smiling faces on this gloomy day. Um, I would take that over seeing the sun any day. Um, But it's nice to see you all here. I know it's a gloomy day, but we can have joy this morning because we get to come and we get to worship God, and it's great. So today, uh, we are wrapping up the series that Pastor Joseph has been in, Fuzzy Math, Uh, When what God does doesn't add up, and we've been looking at stories and uh, uh, people in the Old Testament who God is called to do uh, impossible tasks, but because they're impossible for man, they're possible because of God. And so uh, today we're looking at something similar to that as we look at obedient faith. Today we're going to be talking about obedient faith. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, uh, open your tablets or your phones on the Bible app and follow along with me. Uh, The first thing I want to start out with is I want to ask you a simple question to start off with. What is the hardest thing that you've ever had to do? For me right now, I can easily say the hardest thing that has been in my life currently is moving out. Um, I am uh, moving. I've moved out. I'm living on my own. Uh, I lived with my parents for the longest time, and I have, uh, within the past six, seven months, I moved out, started a new job here, uh, live in a city where I don't know anybody uh, very much, and um, I feel uh, a little bit different. Um, It's a different season of life, especially um, some of you know my family's going through a little bit of a rough season right now, and so it's hard being away from my family. It's hard being here when I want to be with them, and so this season right now, this is the hardest thing that I've had to do. But uh, some of you may remember Roger Staubach, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, took them to a 1971 Super Bowl win. Now, if you know anything about football, the quarterback is the leader of the team. He's the guy who sets the tone for what the team is going to do. And uh, Roger Staubach kind of came into a little bit of a a pride fight with himself uh, during his time with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, uh, Roger Staubach never called a single play. Coach Landry, who was the coach of the Dallas Cowboys at the time, called all the plays. He told Staubach when to throw the ball. He told him when to run the ball. uh, The only time that Staubach could call his own play was in an emergency situation. And so this kind of uh, created a conflict within Staubach. He's like, I want to play, but I want to call. What do I do? And it was through realizing that because of uh, Coach Landry's uh, geniusness when it came to the playbook and knew, uh, knowing when to run a play, he, he realized that if he wanted to be the best quarterback that he could be, he was going to follow the leading of his coach. And sometimes uh, with us, it's hard. I mean, I can imagine he's, he's, he wants to drive. He wants to take the car and he wants to drive. He wants to go as far as he wants to. But he's having to sit passenger side next to the coach who's calling everything. And so we come into this point in Abraham's life, which is who we're going to be looking at today, um, where God tests him with the hardest thing that he's ever had to do. 
On Wednesday nights, we're going through a series with the students called Flawed, and we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. It lists a whole bunch of people who had great faith and lived out their faith. And so the premise of our series is how can we, looking at these people, live a faithful and a faith-filled life? And so for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And Abraham was not one that missed God's test. God tested him more than anything. And we come to this passage today where we see the hardest test that Abraham was ever going to have to do for God. So starting in Genesis chapter 22, that's where we're going to be this morning. Verses 1 and 2 say this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. The Lord said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So right off the bat, we see this test that God presents before Abraham. Now, Abraham is not new to God testing him. Um, in Jewish culture back in these days, uh, your whole family lived together. Some of you would think that's a great thing, and some of you would say, heck no. Um, I'm that person that would say, heck no, because I know my family, and I don't want to live with all of my cousins and relatives under the same roof. I couldn't do it. Too many people, too many things going on, too many different problems. But in this day and time, the people uh, of a family would live together. So uh, Abraham's father uh, would uh, have this land, and he'd have livestock, and uh, he'd have multiple servants and things like that. And that's how you would determine wealth. The more possessions that you had, physical possessions, the more wealthy you were as a person. And so God was calling Abraham to pick up everything that he owned, not that his father owned, but everything that he owned, and moved to a different place. And the place was going to be somewhere that he would show him. So Abraham didn't even know where he was going. He just knew that God was calling him somewhere else. And so Abraham picked up everything that he had, He took his wife, he took his nephew, and he left. And God was faithful to him and showed him where he was going to be and established him there. And he made a covenant, God made a covenant with Abraham. He promised that Abraham would one day become a great nation. Here's the only problem with that. Abraham had no heir. He had no children. He had no son to take over after he was gone. And so Abraham couldn't quite comprehend what God meant by this and how this was going to come to fruition. But what we see here, and the main thing that I want you to see is that God tested Abraham multiple times. And the thing about that is, is to be tested by God is a good thing. We often think that tests and and trials and things like that are, we we don't want that to happen. We never want that to happen. It's a bad thing. I'm, I'm down, I'm low, but being tested by God is a good thing. James verifies this for us. He says, consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But here's the thing. This is where this story doesn't add up at any point in time because the thing that God tests Abraham with is the thing that most of us would dream is unimaginable. God tests Abraham and tells him to sacrifice his son. 
And this is hard for Abraham to understand because remember, Abraham had no son. God comes to him after he moves to this land and he tells him, to your offspring I will give this land. And so God made a promise that he would have an heir and God fulfilled that promise. See, when Abraham picked up and moved and left his family, he was 75 years old. When God fulfilled his promise that he would have a son, he was 100. 25 years later, God fulfilled his promise. So this child that Abraham had was literally a decades and decades of waiting. He waited many, many years for this. And you see, God knew that Abraham loved his son, but God wanted him to also know that Abraham loved him. That's what God testing us is all about. He wants us to understand that we love him as much as the thing he's testing us with. And so God tested Abraham to demonstrate the quality of his character. The quality of his character. And we see the quality of his character throughout this passage because Abraham walked out his faith. He walked out his faith. Verse 3 says, So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. So Abraham wasted no time. God came to him and said, I want you to do this thing. I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. He didn't question. He didn't hesitate. He grabbed everything that he needed for the trip, and he left. I'm sure Abraham was doubtful. I'm sure Abraham questioned. But the thing that we can learn from Abraham is is this. God calls us to be obedient to his will and not to understand it. He calls us to be obedient to his will and not to understand it. If you remember Billy Graham, one of the biggest evangelists of our time, he led revivals here. He led revivals in the United Kingdom. He literally ministered to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people while he preached the word of God. But when he was a young boy, he was a farmer. He lived on a farm. And God called him to become a preacher. And one morning he gets up when he's trying to make his, uh, when he's trying to wrap his mind around some things and he's just trying to understand. And this is what he says in prayer. He says, Lord, I don't understand all that is in this book, talking about the Bible, and there are a lot of different passages that I have my doubts about, but you say it's your word, so by faith, I'm going to accept it as my authority and live it. And man, he lived it. He was one of the biggest evangelists that ever lived, ministered to hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people made decisions to follow Christ, all because of Abraham, or uh, Billy Graham being obedient to the call that was on his life, not trying to understand it. You see, so many times we try to understand what God is doing and why God is having us go through things. But here's the thing. If we understood why God was doing what he was doing, we would be like God. And we're not meant to be like God. We're meant to be obedient and to follow through. And so because of that, Abraham knew that he, test, he was tested by God before, and this was another test. And in all the other tests before, God was faithful to him because Abraham was obedient for what God said. 
So what did he do? He obeyed again. It says in verses 4 and 5, it says, On the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Notice what he says at the end of this verse here. I hit the wrong button. My bad. Then we will come back to you. As if he already knew God was planning on doing something incredible. He didn't say, I will come back. He said, we will come back. He had faith that everything was going to work out in the end. And this is because he never lost his faith. Verses 7 through 8 says, Then Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. You see, Isaac would have understood the point of a sacrifice because back in those days, the sacrifice is what made the atonement for sin. And so Isaac would have known that to have a sacrifice, you need an altar, you need wood, you need an animal. And he's putting the pieces together as he's walking with his father and he's like, hold up, something's missing. I don't, we don't have an animal. And so he does what any child does. He asks a question. If you have a three, four, five, six-year-old, they love to ask questions. Um, and I can just picture Isaac just walking with his father and he just goes, hey, dad, where's the animal? Just casually, very innocently. And imagine the thought that Abraham has as he turns to talk to his son. You're the sacrifice, but I can't tell you that. I have to give you up, but I can't tell you that. But instead of saying that, he says, God will provide what we need. And so even, even walking up the mountain, he still believed that God was going to do something incredible. Was he scared? Oh, probably. Was he nervous? Definitely. He didn't know the outcome. Verse 9 says, When they arrived at the, t- at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. I'm a very visual person. Uh, In case you didn't know that, I read things and I picture them in my head, or uh, if I learn something, it has to be visual. And so the entire time I'm reading this text, I'm I'm reading the story, I'm, I'm visualizing the whole thing unfolding. And one of the things that popped into my head is as Abraham was preparing the altar, I can just see they get to the top of the mountain, and Abraham, uh, they they unload everything. Isaac puts the wood over here and all this stuff, and I, I can just picture Abraham picking up little Isaac and setting him over here on a rock and then going about and preparing the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever it comes to something that I'm uncomfortable doing or I don't want to do, I procrastinate and I put it off. I wait until the last possible moment to do something. It's true of college students, too. Uh, College students flirt with that 1150 deadline all the time, 
all the time. I had a guy uh, that we had a class together when I was at North Greenville, and um, we had this big paper that we had to do. I mean, 20 sources, uh, 30 pages. We had, like, we had months to work on it. So the week beforehand, I'm finishing up the paper. You know, I've got, the, I've got my sources. I've got the intro. I've got the body almost finished. I've got to work on the conclusion. I've got to make sure my formatting's right, do all this finalizing stuff. And I see him in the student hangout section. He's, got, he's on his computer, and so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's probably working on his paper. So I go up to him, and I ask him. I say, hey, man. Uh, how's your paper coming? Because when I'm done with mine, I want you to check yours. I didn't know, or check mine. I didn't know if you'd want me to check yours. And he says, oh, I haven't started it yet. This is a week before the paper's due. This is Monday, and the paper's due Friday, okay? The paper is due Friday at 10.15, okay? So we're here at Monday. I said, oh, well, that's, that's cool, uh, how much you got left to, how, what, what do you got to do? He said, well, I have five of my 20 sources. I said, you have a quarter of what you need to do this paper. He's like, yeah, I'm not worried about it, though. I'm like, good on you, bud. Uh, so I went about the rest of my week. We get to Thursday. I pass him again, and I see him, and I ask him, I'm like, so how's that paper you got going on? He's like, well, I finally, I got all my sources, but, uh, you know, I just started it like 20 minutes ago. I'm like, dude, it's Thursday. That paper's due tomorrow. He said, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I'm like, you're not worried about it. He said, nope. I'm like, okay. So Thursday, I'm, I'm, I had finished my paper. I had printed it out for the next day, so that way it would be ready to go. So I walk into class, and I set my paper down. Right there, on the professor's desk, just right there. Five minutes later, because I get there early sometimes, um, but five minutes later, this guy walks in. He sets, he sets his paper down, um, and I'm like a little curious. So the next week, uh, it's Wednesday, because it's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class. Wednesday, we get our papers back. I made an 85 on that paper. Ooh, I felt pretty good. I put a lot of work into it. I thought I deserved the grade. It was great. I see the guy again as we're leaving class, and I'm like, hey, man, just curious. You know, what'd you make on that paper? He's like, oh, I made a 95. I'm like, what? You made a 95 on that paper? He said, yeah. I said, show me. He pulls the paper out of his bag. There it is. Red mark, 95. I'm like, dude, you wing that paper. How, does that not bother you? He's like, no. Not at all. I'm like, dude, that would give me anxiety. I get anxiety when I have three months to work on a paper, let alone only do it in a week, let alone a nighter, all nighter. I'm like, dude, whew. But the point of that is we push things off. We wait. This guy waited until the absolute last minute, which to this day I still can't believe how he pulled it off. Um, but he waited until the last second to do it. And that's what I imagine Abraham doing here. He's taking as much time as he possibly can because he knows whenever he's finished constructing this altar and getting everything ready, it's time to sacrifice his son. And so he gets everything ready, and it's time. Despite whatever he was thinking at that point, he still did what God told him to do. 
Now, I don't know about you, um, I'm a son, okay, I'm a firstborn son, right? Um, if my dad, who's here this morning, um, if he came to me and started to try and tie me up and said, I'm going to sacrifice you, um, <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about that. See, because let me, let me tell you something. There's this defense mechanism that, you're, that each of us are born with. It's called fight or flight. It basically determines what you would do in a tough situation. Um, if, you, if you're a fighter, it's pretty obvious you, you fight, you, you stand your ground. If you're a flighter, uh, you run. You try to get out of there as fast as you can. I'm a fighter. Um, I don't like people like trying to push me around. I'll stand up for myself. I'll fight back. You know, I, I want to defend myself. So I'm sure that if this, if I was Isaac, um, a, you know, a little right hook and woo, gone. Um, just because um, <laughs> I don't know how I'd feel about this. You know, how 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 would any of us feel? But we don't see Isaac do that here. Abraham ties him up and lays him on the wood. There's no questioning. There's no back-talking. There's no fighting. There's no running, pushing away. And what I really believe happened is at this point in time, the Holy Spirit came down and calmed the heart of Isaac, spoke to his spirit because everything was going to work out. Everything was going to be okay. Abraham didn't know that. Abraham didn't know what was going to happen. But the Holy Spirit, I believe, came and spoke to Isaac and calmed his heart, calmed his spirit. Because in the next instance that we see in verse 10, Abraham reached out, took the knife to slaughter his son. So I mentioned we've been talking about Abraham on Wednesday nights uh, for the past few weeks. And so uh, this past week, I asked a few of my adult leaders or parents, um, you know, if you, were in, if you were in Abraham's shoes up until this point, you know, is this something that you would do? Is this a possibility? Would you be able to do this? And the responses I got were, probably not. It'd be very difficult. And I can't even imagine doing it. It's because it's who we are. We don't think about, you know, we think like if something happens, I would rather sacrifice myself than let something happen to someone else. But we don't think about sacrificing someone else. But even to this point, Abraham demonstrated his faith. He demonstrated it. Again, I'm a visual person, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, Abraham turns around to grab the knife and he turns, he turns back to Isaac. He sees him laying there. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just seeing Abraham weeping, tears flowing down his face. He can't hold himself together because of how distraught he is. He's getting ready to sacrifice and murder the only son that he's ever had. And he takes the knife anyway tears in his eyes and he brings it up and he goes to drop it and he demonstrates how faithful and obedient he is and because of this God provided God provided verses 11 through 12 says but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said Abraham Abraham he replied here I am 
Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. You see, we would say, uh, we would say, you know, when we procrastinate, we wait until the last second. We would look at this passage and say, God waited until the absolute last second. However, I would like to challenge you with this. God didn't wait until the absolute last second. God waited for the perfect moment. Because God knew that once Abraham began to fully commit was the only time that he could stop him to let him know that this is exactly what he wanted. God intervened at the perfect time. Imagine the amount of relief that Abraham felt. He was about to commit something and be completely obedient and faithful and do exactly what God called him to do. But imagine how he would have felt after the fact if God had actually allowed him to go through with it. I can only imagine the amount of relief that Abraham felt. He was getting ready to give up the thing he loved most to God. What does that say about us? More often than not, we're... uh, We are afraid to do what God calls us to do because we're afraid to leave our comfort zone. We like to be comfortable. We like to feel safe. We like to stay in a secure area where we can control everything that happens. But God calls us to leave our comfort zone, and it's very uncomfortable. I can remember a few years ago when I graduated high school, um, I I was at summer camp, and it was the last summer camp experience that I would ever have as a student. And I wanted to soak everything in. I wanted to, I wanted to be there. And I just wanted to, to embrace everything that God was going to teach me and everything that was going to happen that week. I was fully dedicated to it because I knew I started North Greenville in the fall. I started my internship that same time and it wasn't going to be the same. I was never going to be able to go back. And so I wanted to continue. Uh, I wanted to have that one last experience mean something, really, really mean something. And I can remember this was uh, middle of the week. We're in the worship service. We had ju- uh, the preacher had just gotten up and just finished speaking. The band came up and played the, was playing the last song, and we're sitting there worshiping. I had my eyes closed, and I was because I, I knew the, I knew the song. The spirit was speaking to me. You could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in that room. It was so thick. And I remember opening my eyes and seeing this girl in front of me. She was with our group. Um, I knew who she was. She was my sister's best friend. And I, all I heard audibly at the moment I opened my eyes was, pray for her. God began to speak in my heart, pray for her, pray for her, pray for her. It was ongoing, it was constant, it was continuous. Pray for her, pray for her. So I did what you probably shouldn't do. I began to have an argument with God. Um, never do that, it's never a good thing. The first thing I can remember saying is, God, I don't know what to pray for. Why do you want me to pray for? I don't know what to pray for. And he said, I'll give you the words. Pray for. And I said back, I said, but God, I'm in, I'm in this moment. I, I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Keep that in mind. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And all I kept hearing was pray for her. Pray for her. Pray for her. And I did what you should never do. I closed my eyes and I ignored God. I went back to having my moment of worship instead of doing what God had asked me to do. 
So the next day, we had an afternoon service, and uh, during this afternoon service, they wanted students to come up and give a testimony of everything that they, uh, God had been talking to them, teaching them, um, what they felt like uh, God was leading them to do. And so one after another, these students kept going up and going up and going up and talking to the microphone. And I look down for one second, and I hear this voice coming from the microphone, and I knew immediately who it was. I look up, and it was that girl that was sitting in front of me that God had told me to pray for. And she began speaking. God began revealing to my heart. He said, that is exactly what I wanted you to pray over her for. The things that she had been struggling with, the things that she had been dealing with, the things that God had been teaching her that week, God laid it on my heart. He said, that is what I wanted you to pray over her for. And immediately, I felt regret, and I felt guilty. Because you see, God didn't put me in that, that scenario to bring glory and honor to myself. No, he put me in that scenario so that way he could speak through me to this girl who needed to hear it. But here's the thing. A lot of times, we often think that if we don't do what God wants us to do, his will doesn't get done. See, that's not, that's not completely true. What happened in this instance and what happens in every other instance is when we say no to God, God is giving us an opportunity to be a part of his will, and we can choose to be a part or not. But what ends up happening is when we say no to God, God says, okay, I'll go to somebody else or do something else. His will is never going to get stopped. His will is still going to be done. So even though I told God no and I ignored him, he still taught this girl everything that she needed to hear because it was his will for her to hear it. And I missed out on an opportunity, one that was greater than the one that I was in at that time because I was indulging in a self-worship moment where I could have been a part of a greater moment. And so what does it say about us when we tell God no, when we disobey, when we are not as obedient as him or as he calls us to be? What would it look like in our world if everybody was as obedient as Abraham? What would it look like in our community? What would it look like in our church if we were all as obedient as Abraham was because see because of uh, of Abraham's obedience God did not abandon him verses 13 through 14 says Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its uh, horns so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son and Abraham named that place the Lord will provide so today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain God provided Abraham what he needed to finish the sacrifice. And isn't that the same for us? Doesn't God provide everything that we need? If you're questioning whether that's true or not, the answer is yes. Because Philippians tells us so. In, in chapter 4, verse 19 of Philippians, it says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, in Abraham's life, all throughout his life, we see how far he was willing to go in obedience and trust. And in this instance, what God really wanted is not the sacrifice of Isaac. That's not at all what he wanted. So don't get that misconstrued. He did not want the sacrifice of Isaac. He wanted the complete and total surrender of Abraham. Verses 16 through 17 says, Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, 
I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. See, when God tests us, it's not for him to find out how strong we are. He already knows how strong we are. He puts us in those instances, in those situations, in those circumstances because he knows our own strength. The thing that he wants to teach us through each struggle, through each trial, through each circumstance is not for him to understand how strong we are, but for us to discover how strong we are. Because more often than not, in certain instances, when God calls us to do something, we say, I'm not able to do that. I'm not strong enough to do that. I don't have the knowledge to do that. I don't have this or that or the other. But the thing is, God already knows we have exactly what we need to pursue what he's putting us in and what he's calling us to do. So it's for us to understand that we are ready and that we are strong enough and that we are capable enough to do exactly what he's calling us to do. More often than not, you'll hear people say that God is the potter and we are the clay and God is molding us and shaping us to be exactly how he wants us to be, perfect. And while that is absolutely correct, 100%, yes, I totally agree with that. There's another analogy that I love so much more because it really talks about what happens in, in the trials that we face. So I'm sure most of you know what this is. That's a piece of gold. Um, if you have lived under a rock up until a couple days ago, uh, you would know that uh, an ounce of this is now worth almost $2,000 or something like that. It's really expensive. Uh, it's really valuable, really highly valuable. Um, this is a gold nugget, and you can see just how small it is. Um, but this was mined out of the earth, and you can kind of tell because you can kind of see some of the imperfections, some of the rock in it and whatnot. But the way that they get pure gold, um, it, it's a really unique and, and really amazing process. This is how they refine it. So they take all the gold, uh, little ingots and however much they find, and they melt it down. They put it in a furnace, and that furnace burns at 2,000 to 5,000 degrees. It's really, really hot. What happens is, is that gold melts down, all the impurities in the gold rise to the top. And the person who's refining the gold will take, uh, take a tool, there's a specific thing, and they scrape away just the top layer of that liquid gold to get all the impurities that have risen to the top. And then, once they do that, they'll take the, the liquid gold at this point, and it's bright orange. If you've ever watched a forging video or a forging show on TV, um, when stuff is really, really hot, it's orange, which is really cool. Um, but they'll take that liquid gold, and they'll pour it into a mold, and they'll let it cool. It takes a little bit because, you know, 2,000 degrees, that's a little hot. Um, I wouldn't want to touch it. Um, and so they let it cool, and it, it form it, and all this kind of stuff. But they don't stop there. They take the same piece that just cooled, and they put it back in the furnace, bump it up 2,000 degrees again, melt it down. And as it melts, again, more impurities that never rose to the top the first time rise to the top. Guy comes, scrapes it away, pours it in a mold. They do this seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 times until finally the last time that they put it in the furnace and they turn up the, the heat and it melts and it melts down, nothing rises to the top. They pour it in the mold, they let it cool, and they polish it. 
Isn't that what God does with us? He melts us down and everything that is not good about us, everything that is not perfect about us rises to the top and he slowly scrapes it away. He lets us cool down. He shapes us again. And then another thing in our life comes up. He melts us down again. And again, more things that rise to the top, a sin that we never confessed or something that we need to let go of rises to the top and he scrapes it away. He does that over and over and over again because he cares about us. He loves us. He wants the best for us. He's purifying us. Because there's nothing we could do to purify ourselves, but he is purifying us. And so the, the thing I want to leave you with today is this question. It's a simple question. For some of you, it may be a harder question to answer than others. But simply this, what is your Isaac? What is God calling you to let go of in your life? You see, God knew that Abraham loved Isaac more than anything else. More than anything else. We have students on Wednesday nights that play sports, um, that have jobs, that have cars. Um, they do a bunch of different extracurricular activities. Some of you, you do uh, things that you put a lot of time and money and effort into. When we put a lot of time and effort and, and, and focus into one thing, more often than not, we are doing it because it can bring us glory and honor. Students who play sports, more often than not, they want to do it for their own recognition. They want to show people that they can be the very best they can be at a sport that others are playing. I challenged my students on Wednesday nights that play sports. I said, is this sport something that is uplifting you and bringing glory and honor to you, or is it something that you can turn around and bring glory and honor to God? What is that thing that God is calling you to? You're, you're using it over here for your own personal gain, but how are you going to shift it around and bring glory and honor to him? Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says that anything that we do should be for the glory and honor of Christ. And so what is that one thing that God is calling you to let go of in your life? Like I said earlier, for some of you, it may be incredibly hard to answer that question. And for some of you, it may be very easy to answer that question. God doesn't call us not to love, and that's the thing. God was not jealous of his love, of Abraham's love for Isaac. But he wanted Abraham to realize that his love was being misplaced. You see, the covenant that God made with Abraham stayed. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob was later renamed Israel. Israel had 12 sons, and they became the nation of Israel. God honored his promise, but God had to test Abraham first to make sure that Abraham was on board with whatever would happen. He wanted the complete and total surrender of Abraham. He wanted him to be obedient. He wants us to be obedient. And because of our obedience, he will remain faithful to us 
And so what does that look like for you to remain obedient? What does that look like for you? What do you need to let go of? I challenge you that as you go this week, you'll be thinking about what it is that God is calling you to let go of. Like I said, for some of you it may be harder, and for some of you it may be easier. But I'm willing and I'm ready to let go of whatever God is calling me to let go of. I'm willing and obedient to follow wherever God is calling me to be and calling me to go. Because I want to live a life like Abraham, completely faithful, completely obedient, and a hundred percent and wholly trusting and reliant on God. Is that something that you can say as well? I hope so. I hope so. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Abraham. Thank you for the the image that we can see, uh, the lens that we can see through to see his obedience and his faith to you. God, I pray um, that you would give us the same uh, obedience and faithfulness in you. I pray that you would help us to remain strong in you. And I pray that as we go this week, you would lead us uh, and, and show us what it is that you're calling us to let go of. All these things I pray in your name. Amen.